Before we dive in to this episode, I have to tell you what is up on Patreon because I have made so many changes. I put so much into it this summer and there's so much to be had over on Patreon. So first off, you can become a member for just $5 a month or we also have a pay what you can option at $1 a month because you know, stuff is crazy out there, you guys. I get it. And here's what you get when you sign up on Patreon. One bonus episode every month, an extra episode of a book that is only for Patreon subscribers. We have also started running ads on this podcast. I held out for a long time, but finally I caved. And now that we have ads, if you don't want ads anymore, all the episodes on Patreon will go to your podcast feed without ads if you just sign up for Patreon. So all episodes from here going forward, ad free. We also have access to something called a lounge. They gave us early exclusive access. It's been awesome. So basically become a member of the Patreon. We have a cookies only chat where all cookies can talk to each other. It's like a real digital book club where you can talk about books, the episodes. We talked about the Barbie movie, like so much conversation is going on there. That is where all my focus is going as well. That is where all the conversation is happening. You also get, oh my God, there's more. You also get an email of photos that go with the episode and you get emailed that every time an episode comes up. So everything we talked about in the episode, a photo of it will be sent to you as well as the reading list for the month if you want to read along. If you love this podcast, if you want to support this podcast, join the Patreon. It's so much fun. There's so much fun to be had over there. And also we are fully independent. We run fully by your Patreon support. So consider supporting us over there for just $5 a month um, and a pay what you can option at $1. And it's linked in the show notes. It is www.patreon.com slash Chelsea Devantes. If you just want to type it in, uh, it takes two seconds. We send you a podcast feed. You get all of the bonus ad-free stuff. So easy. And um, I'll see you over there in the lounge if you join the Patreon. Before I dive into this week's episode, I want to give a shout out to some incredible new reviews we got. Thank you guys so much for writing in and making reviews. I'm going to shout you out if you do it because reviews uh, help this podcast to grow and and thrive and, and live its best life. So thank you so much. So Sarah K623, she responded to a question I asked last week, which was, um, are you enjoying the old memoirs? Because someone wrote me a review. They said they weren't. And Sarah said, I love the old memoirs. So thank you so much for validating me. I just love the stories in these books. I don't I don't care uh, when they were written. Um, S. Alien, love the name, said the best. You discovered this podcast late, but what your best discovery of 2022? Okay, that's huge because I do believe the Mexican pizza came back this year at Taco Bell. Um, Poppy's Mom 2020 said here for Chelsea. Okay, thank you. And um, you mentioned my growth these past few years. And uh, listen, I, I did get deep and personal and I, I also feel this. So thank you. <laughs> that makes me really, really sappy. Um, Naughty Alley Cat said they came for Allison, staying for Chelsea. I love that Allison brought you over to this podcast. I love that you're staying. Jay Miller 04 said my number one podcast. That means so much. And um, you called me a real MVP. And you know I'm putting that in my self-esteem pocket. And then SSNDGM, love to know what that acronym is for, said love. I found a new bestie. Her name is Chelsea. Okay, you're my bestie now too. Um, Harlow303 said TN Empathy, which I do think is like a tea shop I should start, like a little business. So <laughs> look out for that. And thank you so much for the reviews. I will give you a shout out if, if, if you leave us a good one because they help us. So now let's dive into the episode. Wow. 
welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of female celebrities. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a TV writer, comedian, filmmaker. Sometimes I'm in stuff too. And this week we are book clubbing Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, It is so good. So Jeanette was a child star, most famous for her role in Disney's iCarly and the spinoff Sam and Cat. But she is an incredible author and upcoming director. And her memoir has one of the most uh, eye-catching and intense titles of all time. It's titled, I'm Glad My Mom Died. And as she has said in interviews, she earns the title through the book. It came out in 2022, like just a month ago flew off bookshelves. They literally ran out. She already went into her second printing because it is simply stunning. I read this in a day. Um, And not only did she go through so much in her life, but she came out the other side as an incredible writer and, and wrote it down. And I highly recommend you read it, but you can enjoy this episode even if you don't. And know that this episode is going to include discussions on eating disorders, sexual abuse, child abuse, and um, all, all sorts of things. So it's going to get real deep, but I I loved this book with my whole heart. So let's dive in. And to get us started, here is a clip from Jeanette when she was doing press for this book. So what helped you heal and start to recover? Mm, definitely therapy. Therapy was huge for me. I feel like that's such a boring answer. Just, you know. No, but it's a real answer. And, thank you. Yeah, I tried a lot of different kinds of therapy. And then, honestly, the writing of this book, mm. it was important for me, though, to be able to have processed a lot of these experiences before going toward this material in a public-facing way and in a creative way. I wouldn't want to just be, like, emotionally eking or trauma-eking. I really wanted to find the structure and the story and the entertaining elements. And so I think um, having that experience of therapy where I process everything prior to writing the book was, was very, very important. We are diving into everything Jeanette McCurdy today with my guest, Marcella Arguello. I'm so excited, Chelsea. I am so happy you're here. So I want to give your bio really quick. Marcella is a stand-up comedian, writer, and actor whose debut half-hour special will be dropping on HBO Max this winter. So exciting. She has a monthly show in Los Angeles called Woman Crush, which I did once. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm promoting myself within your bio. I love it. And her album, The Woke Bully, was named one of NPR's best comedy albums in 2019. She's huge. She's a stand-up all over the place. She does incredible shows. She's been in so many, like, magazines and shit. And... She just recorded a funny meditation album. Like, you literally just recorded it in Joshua Tree. Yeah, like Is that two correct? days ago, we just finished. I'm so excited. And it's like, it's everything you want from motivational speakers. Like, you you know how, like, you want <laughs> yeah, a motiv- yeah. motivational speaker to get, be a little more real? Be a little more, like, yes. really give you the motivation you need. Not that, like, meme shit. So, but, like, real yes, motivation. Yes. Ugh. It's going to be, I'm so excited. It's my first truly experimental project, but I have a lot that I'm excited to do in the future. And this is like one of those things. I love that. Also, this kind of goes perfectly into how I introduce all my guests with uh, the story of how we first met, because you're the best motivator in the world. Do you remember how we first met? I don't. And I'm so excited because I can't remember shit about anything. So I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear about the first time. Oh my gosh. I So we met in the parking lot of a bowling alley okay. before Yasser's birthday party. Okay. Which was in the bowling alley. And I knew of you online. We, I, I like knew of you, but this was like a first meeting and everyone is in there. They're like bowling their asses off. They're doing great. I can't, I don't know how to bowl. Marcella comes up. She's like, with your hand, with your arm and a step, step. And here we go. And she stood behind me. 
You guys, I started striking. Yeah. I started throwing strikes when, from you. I'm telling you, I can motivate a bitch because all yes. you need is confidence and concentration. So yeah, yeah. That's a great story. I didn't know that was the first time we met. I do remember. I, I, I do remember that. And you would like shout things to me as I like walked down to bowl. And here's the thing. Then you left. We've gone bowling since. I've never bowled another strike. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. Can you like make an album of you coaching me how to bowl? I mean, Maybe, and I'll, maybe that. I'll do that. Yeah, I'll send you a, a personal. That that'll, that's my wedding gift to you. Your personal recording. <laughs> so you're killing it in the bowling alley. But I need it. Yeah. We, um, we okay. Well, I'm really excited for this project. And so here's my question for you. So a while ago, I texted you. I was like, "Will you please come on my podcast?" You never wrote me back. I believe I that. I said, Marcella doesn't want to be my friend. Oh my God. And then and then you texted me a little while later and you were like, why Why would you ever think that I just missed a text? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I'm cool. And then later I get a message from you and you said, I have to do Jeanette's book. Yeah. Now, if I were to place bets on you, I would have never guessed this was your book. So please tell me like what, what made this like the book you had to do? Well, I, I just have strong feelings about protecting children. I have mm, such strong mm-hmm. feelings about it. And I I watched Jeanette with my nieces and nephews. I remember oh, wow. watching her and being like, that child is really good. Her and Zendaya were the two that I saw on these shows when they were literal children. And I was like, these children are so talented. And I worry, I get so scared for what is possible because I know because yeah. this and this book you're is, in this business I'm in this business but also even back then because I must have been like 25 when I was watching that show around that age and I just knew like these children we've all we all know the Michael Jackson story we like he should not have been doing anything he shouldn't have been performing yeah. at five years old and so every time I see shit like this it it breaks my heart and then you look at someone like Zendaya it's proof that your parents are the reason you either fucking survive this business or you just, I mean, you're perish. Perish. Okay, so let's dive into the start of the book. So in an incredible, unreal opening, she is talking to her mom, who is in a coma, dying from cancer. And she thinks she can bring her mom back from a coma by telling her something exciting. And, you know, as people do with those in a coma, she waits till everyone leaves and she tells her mom the one thing her mom would maybe want to come back to life for. She says, mom, I reached your goal weight for me. I'm 85 pounds. And that's the opening to the book. It's heavy. After It's heavy. I mean, I read this in one sitting. I, I didn't even mean to. Like, I sat down. I was like, let me just kind of like look at this book, get my bearings. And I did not get up off the couch. I stayed up all night and I finished the book in one sitting. Was that the same for you? It was not the same for me, but I did see that you said that online. So I was like, I want to make sure I digest it slowly because it, Good, yeah. it, it was, it was a lot. And it's it, a lot. It was, it was similar to the Mariah Carey memoir where it's like, I would say Mariah's was arguably a little worse because it was, uh, uh, there was so much left out. You know, with Jeanette. Mm, do you, oh, you mean worse as a memoir, not not more intense. No, to no, read. no. I mean, it was more intense to read, but it was it was uh, she she made you use your imagination. You had to imagine that she was raped, and I that was like really kind of hard to to digest. Like sometimes I would yeah. read three paragraphs and be like, I I don't like that she's not saying anything directly, and now I have to assume the worst. And with Jeanette, How, yeah. it was like, no, no, this is exactly what happened, and she's such a great writer. 
And you know exactly yeah. what happened. And you know exactly how she processed it. You know exactly where it's fucked. And she does too. And you you also are like, oh, she has done a lot of healing work before she totally wrote this book. As opposed to with Mariah, you're like, oh my God, she's still being haunted by some of what happened to her. 100%. It's interesting. I ha- With the exact same facts of like leaving stuff out, I think I had the flip response where I also, I think I have more similarities with Jeanette, like even like growing up around Mormons. So I think reading that <laughs> one was, <laughs> I know we'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> reading that one um, was more intense because of the dirge of details mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. with Mariah, yeah, I did find myself being like, I found myself on I found myself on videos more with Mariah's book. Like I'd be like, let me go see that Carson uh, oh, oh, that Carson oh. Daily clip on MTV. I'd go on, you know, I'd like let me go see that music video now. Like I, I think I, I think I took because more I remember them that I was like, oh yeah, I I I know Mariah so well that I was yeah. I was with her, which actually made me more sad because it started to change my memories of of yes. those things as I was reading it. And with Jeanette, I'm like, everything's brand new. I don't I don't really know anything about her. So it, yeah. it was very fascinating and quick to read, but it was also like this is child abuse. I'm going to put this book down for a couple yes. days. Yes, and both books are child abuse. Um, okay, so back into this book. So there's two sections of the book. It's before when her mom was alive and after um, after her mom died. And so her mom had cancer when uh, she was very, very young. And then she gets cancer again later. And, um, and, that, and that is ultimately what leads to her death. And where we start, what I what I wrote in the book is like, why is it always Mormons? Do you know what I mean? Like, when you find like really, really fucked up shit, like it's always Mormons. I say that as someone who lived in Utah for six years um, from first grade to maybe seven years, first grade to like uh, seventh grade. Um, and I was always surrounded by um, Mormons. But you weren't and, raised? And you weren't raised? I was, it? so our family was not Mormon, but I really uh, wanted to be liked at school. So with my best friend, I went to uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints for their three-hour Sunday service every Sunday Mm -hmm. for years. I went to Mormon summer camps. So I was cosplaying Mormon. Uh, Mormons specifically always have a certain um, flavor to them. Yeah. So even though I could tell she was in, she was living more around, more like Jack Mormons, more like loose Mormons. I was with really strict Mormons. Um, she, they, they have this weird, like, Americana flavor to them. Yeah. Where, like, so, so, like, her mom is a Mormon. She's also a hoarder. Yeah. And that also really fits with the Mormons I know, stockpiling. There's so much shit in the house that her mom has bought gymnastic mats from Costco. And the kids and the mom sleep on them on the floor in the living room. Can you imagine? That your mother's such I mean, a hoarder. I mean, I think we all, a lot of people, I shouldn't say we all, a lot of people have hoarding tendencies and there are just degrees to it. Sometimes we just don't throw away cards that we got, you know, from from our loved ones. And it's like, a, that's a sweet way to be a hoarder. And then yeah. you get the people, because I, when I was a kid, yeah, I went to a friend's house, junior high, I remember, because um, it was one of our best friends. And they had like stacks of newspapers, like, like almost to the ceiling. And they wow. and they were kind of like a, a walkway, like yeah. you couldn't really get anywhere uh, uh, unless the newspapers guided you to that space. And I, it reminded me of that, but but hers ver- her version is way worse because it's like no one can sleep in their bed. Yeah, in their own bedrooms. I mean, her mom not making enough space for their for her ch- children uh, to sleep in their beds is like the metaphor 
for this book. Yeah. And um, often like times like the mom and the dad sleep separately. And I can't remember which one it is, but, like one of them sleeping on this like two feet of the bed that's free. And then everyone else is on this cost on these Costco mats, like in the living room. Ugh. And then so okay, I want to read um page 16. This is when, I mean, very early on, her mom wants her to be an actor and um, make up for her her own dream that she never got to pursue. And she starts driving her to Los Angeles for auditions. So here's a quote. Look at me getting over my fear for you, mom says, as we pile into our 1999 Ford Windstar minivan. We arrive at 20th Century Fox Studios an hour early, so we walk around for a bit in the dark. When we pass the giant Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader mural on the side of one of the sound stages, mom squeals with delight, whips out her disposable camera, and snaps a picture of me standing in front of it. I feel embarrassed like we don't belong here. By 4.45 in the morning, mom figures it's close enough to my call time to show up, so we check in just outside the sound stage with a short, bald production assistant. He tells us we're early, but we can stop by Background Crafty before it's time to head to set. And then Jeanette would spend like 12 hours working as a background child actor, all with her mom saying, like, I'm making sacrifices for your dream. And her internalizing like, oh, my mom does so much for me. I'm so lucky to have my mom. I I really enjoyed um, that from... And she wrote it from the child's perspective of her of herself, uh, like how she justified her mom's laziness. Like that was <laughs> yeah. one of the funny things that you kind of saw throughout the book. Like, like in what way? Like she was like, well, I have like Jeanette had to pay the bills because her mom was so busy driving her to and from the auditions. And yeah, and it yeah. was so sweet because you're like, oh, she really thinks that's work. Like she really yeah. thinks that's enough. And in, right. in, enough of an excuse to not have a fucking job. Like, the bitch couldn't get a job at McDonald's. Seriously. And her mom tells her, like, you are so lucky because so many parents steal their kids' money, and I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to take a salary for me for doing this, pay some basic bills and expenses, and then the rest is yours and pretty much takes most of the money. All, all, I would say all of the money. Yeah, except for the 15% that it, the union sets aside for child actors. One of the things I love about this book is that hopefully that changes. Like, if you are a child actor under child labor, you should get to keep 75% of that paycheck until you're 21 so that parents can't hoard you out. Yeah. It's, um, it's and so ruin crazy. your life. Yeah. So they, because they won't get a job themselves. The bitch won't go to McDonald's and apply. I mean, truly, that it, it's so infuriating. She was not supervising when when Jeanette was on set she would go she would disappear she would go she would read magazines she would go she Jeanette would not see her and that's what was more frustrating because like if you were that mom that wanted to like watch your child on set the whole time I could understand not getting a job but this bitch was like gone for 12 hours yeah and and Jeanette assumed that she was in the holding area or in this area but but sometimes she would see her sometimes sometimes she wouldn't sometimes she wouldn't then that's also, what that's what really pissed me off. Yes. And not only did she not watch over her, but when she was there, she would say, like, don't ask to go to the bathroom. You'll be seen as difficult. Don't ask for food. You'll be seen as difficult. Yes, you'll work the extra hours. You don't want to be seen as difficult. And so she she made things worse yeah. for Jeanette had she just been allowed to, like, follow union yeah. rules, like, on her own. Yeah. Monster. So— in her home life, she has incredible passages, but here's one of my favorites, um, just because the writing is so potent. She said, 
I watch mom closely. Her chest starts heaving. The intensity is growing. Her ears get red. She lunges at dad. Dad takes a few steps back, causing mom to trip onto her knees. She starts screaming, abuse, abuse. Dad grabs her by the wrist to try and calm her down. Mom spits in his face. Somebody wins a round of 007. That's her brother's playing 007 in the background, which is like, I don't know if this spoke to you. And yes, I already talked about growing up trashy, but just like, the, the idea that, like, video games are being played while something, like, horrific is also happening just feels, like, very uh, true to me. I mean, I will say my dad was uh, good in that if uh, a fight was happening or abuse was happening, I should say, he would, like, shut down any joy surrounding the area. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So he really he made, made sure like, the turn focus— Turn the Super Marios. <laughs> I'm going to beat your ass. So that was—I will say I am glad that he did at least give us that grace so that we had no soundtrack to our child abuse, you know? Right, so that your 007 wouldn't be going off mm-hmm. taking you back to yeah. it. Yes, so, okay. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah, he was so thoughtful. <laughs> he was so thoughtful. <laughs> okay, so she goes, somebody wins— the round of 007, a celebratory fist pump flies through the air. Deb, I'm a couple hours late. This is not a big deal. Dad tries yelling through her screams. Don't undermine me. Don't undermine me. Mom frees her wrist and starts slapping him. Go, mom. You got this. I cheer her on like I always do as soon as I get past the fear. That's what got me like a knife. I mean, I, I also like when you're a child, the the roles you play to calm a parent. Yeah. And clearly the role she's been put in as her mother's keeper and quite literally cheering her on to to abuse her dad because that's what her mom has requested of her is like, but the book could have ended there. It's that would have chilling. Been like, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's chilling. I, I did write poor Mark in regards to the, <laughs> the, dad. the dad. I definitely was like, what's going on here? When I saw that yes. exchange, I was like, something's yes. going on here. But it also, uh, when you fast forward and you, you know, you learn things, and I can only say this because I lost a parent and I lost the quote unquote abusive parent, right? And so mm-hmm. um, when I, when enough time had passed, I was like, now, wait a second. My mom is also <laughs> fucked up because oh, no. like it took him <laughs> literally dying for me to go, yeah. oh my God, you played a role in this too. And this whole time I thought it was only him. Not right. knowing that it take it does take two to have a fucking two parent abusive household, whether or not one of them is doing the you know the physical, emotional, whatever abuse. And yeah. I, I think and I think she had some of those realizations um, as she you know got older and went to therapy. But I definitely was like wondering something's going on here. What you know what what's what's the dad's role in this? And it was it's just such a shocking journey. Yeah, I mean. And I want to, I'm going to give it, let's give it to the listeners in the time of how you read it. Sure, sure. I want to say it's so intensely compelling and really spoke to me personally Mm. of just how much everything is going to make sense in retrospect uh, in this dad role. And also like exactly what you're saying of like, even when only one parent is abusive, the other parent being your caretaker and allowing abuse is its own form. Absolutely. Abuse. And then you just live in a nightmare. Mm. <laughs> it's a cycle of nightmares. <laughs> Welcome to the maze. Um, so let's continue on our maze. Um, so, okay. So her mom um, uses her being a cancer survivor constantly. Which is which so funny. Is, <laughs> I, it's so, it's honestly comical. That was the only time I was like, this bitch is hilarious. She's so manipulative and it's, it oh, yeah. knows no bounds. It, she, she would do things where they'd be like, hey, you can't come in this this gate. This this gate is closed. She's like, I survived cancer. 
may I come through the gate? And I'd be like, Duh, I guess. <laughs> her mom's like, uh, using her cancer. She has this video of them as kids kind of reacting to her have cancer. And she plays it every week. And she narrates for the children like, oh, this, you know, this son was so torn up because it hurt him so much to, to know that I was sick. But this son, notice how you walk out of the room almost as if you don't care that I had cancer. And she kind of narrates what she wants into them every week, which is like- it's so insane. It's just such a level of uh, a psychopath that is just un- unwieldy. She then, here's some just like kind of other things we have to go into. And there's so many, but she gives Jeanette sugar-free Red Bull as if it's go-go juice. <laughs> So, so that crazy. she can get it up as a child actor because Jeanette is just a shy kid. So she's just like hopping her up on caffeine. It's really crazy. It's really crazy. And and also like, what what does that do to a child's body? Everything. Every, every fucking, your, every organ is damaged. Yes, from a young age. Like so she, she at just, some yeah. point she says at 14, she's still in a booster seat for the car. Like- her mom fucking fucked her body up and not just because of the eating disorder shit, but it's like, it's shit like in that. Way. In every fucking way, she fucking contributed well, to like her not, like I'm the opposite. My mom fed me so much. I shot up to 6'2 because she was like, we are going to give you more GMO tomatoes. And I was like, yeah, yes. give them to me. <laughs> I mean, speaking of fucking her body up, this is a huge thing we have to talk about. Her mom um, doesn't let her like wipe her own butt oh when she goes God. to the bathroom. Um, it's at least happening when she's eight, but it kind of sounds like it's happening perhaps her whole life. One thing that's very clear is that she doesn't let Jeanette shower herself and she showers Jeanette until she is um, like 17 years old and so often with her 16-year-old brother in the shower with her. And she will throw um, fits if they want to shower by themselves. So she showers them, she cleans them, and she gives her vaginal and breast uh, exams when she does these showers. It is, and you can tell it's really hard for her to write about it. She just kind of puts it down like this happened. Yeah. And I left my body for all of it. Uh, I, here's what the question I want to ask you. And like, I know it's too, it's a crazy question to ask, but it's like, I, I, I really had a hard time wrapping my head around what it's coming from. Cause it's not, it didn't seem to be sexual, it, it, I guess some sort of form of control. It was some form of control, but I don't know. That was something I also was learning. I was like, is this sexual? Is this woman a pedophile? Is this like, what is this? I honestly, yeah. I because she's dead, we'll never know. That's the fucking reality of shit because it's so fucking twisted that I, yeah. I, I wonder if her and her husband had any sexual activity. I mean, like, I was like, if, is this like, yeah. is this enough? You know, because I also don't want to assume that the mother wasn't a pedophile. Like I, we need to talk about that shit because it's so, it's so violating. Well, and it's also like, because it doesn't seem sexual, it doesn't mean the mother's not enjoying it. She's enjoying some right. capacity. If, if, even oh, if it's right. fulfilling like the control factor, it's just, which would be a fetish of its own. It's so well, and disturbing. Also, the experience I, is something that you have no control over the reaction. And that's, what's fucked up about this is I'm like, I know that bitch knew that shit was fucking weird. There's just no way oh. she didn't know it wasn't, which is why. Especially I'm with like, her kids asking for it to not happen. Exactly. And her refusing it. Oh, yeah. And also, I do want to be clear, like, it is sexual abuse. I was just, in in what the mom's 
what fucked up drive the mom had is where I'm like. Absolutely. No, it, I'm, just, I'm with I just you. like couldn't unravel I'm it. I'm with but, you. Yeah, it's absolutely sexual abuse. And like, it's like those people who do other abusive things like giving their kids like colonics. So it's just like, I don't, it, it's really haunting. And it's throughout I the just, book. It's haunting because it's every day. Yeah. That's what's yeah. fucked up about it. Every time it. she wants to shower. Every time she wants to shower. And it's also like, your body is not your own. Your body is your mother's. And she does a million things that way. Like, you're a child actor. For me, you pay our bills. Your body is mine. Your sexual body is mine. Your hygiene is mine. And then later with the eating disorder. Okay, so we have to talk about uh, Karen, who is, uh, I'm going to say an unsung hero in the book. I'm going to make a bold stance. So <laughs> Karen is, um, it seems like Deb's only friend. And Deb hates Karen. And uh, Jeanette helps her mom get ready to go see Karen. It's the only time she sees her mom dress up when she's young. And her mom tells her the story that Karen stole her baby name, that she was going to name her baby Jason. And then Karen got pregnant first and named her baby Jason. (laughs) And um, first off, that is a crime. That is a crime. You cannot steal someone's baby name. Like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) I agree. Um, I just don't believe Jeanette's mom. Well... I, well, except, okay, but we, we're going to, this story's going to come back later in the yeah. book. But yes, at first I was like, fuck, fuck Jeanette's yeah. mom. Like, Karen's probably the best. Yeah. But in this scene, she lets Jeanette know, like, Karen's not my best friend. You're my best mm-hmm. friend. You are mommy's best friend, which is also, can seem so small, also so fucked up. So fucked up. You are not your kid's best friend. You are your kid's parent. Nothing, nothing tells you how much of a loser a person is than when they are like, this child is my friend. Fucking seriously, You're a fucking right? loser. Yeah, like you can have an incredible relationship with Absolutely. a child you're related to or not related to. They're not your best friend. No. Like, what's wrong with you? I don't know what your uh, adult best friendship is like, but usually you're taking your adult issues to your best friend, a child, yeah. and making them work through it. And is and Jeanette is clearly one of these kids who seems totally capable of hearing these adult issues yeah. and giving advice. And, and like, there's lots of kids like that. And it's like, they just kind of forget that like there's there's child mush in that brain. Exactly. And you're you have taken issues that should they should not be processing and and burden them with it in the name of your best friendship. And it's beyond burdening because they don't know shit about shit anyways. So they're just gonna like repeat what you're saying to them back to you and they're gonna reinforce whatever fucked up thing you believe. So that's that's yeah. what's bad about it. It's like this isn't your friend. This this child is just repeating, yes, mom, you're right. She is a bitch. That's not a friend. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. but that's not a friend. You're like, right. Also, I don't, I don't trust people who um, are friends with their children. And I don't trust people who only has fr- have friends at work. Something's oh. wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only, yeah, like your only friends are at work. Like there's nobody else. There's nobody I know. Else. It's a, you know, the other, the other like red flag for people is when they only have new friends. Oh, So they're very, very yeah. good friends. But when you dig deep, like they came around a year ago, two years. That is so fucking right. The people that have, only new friends? Nah, that's weird. Only new friends. Weird. No, no, because whereas I know you made friends previously. Where'd they go? What happened? What did you do you know, to so them? Yes, and like you definitely you can have new friends. You just can't have only, only have new friends. New friends. Yeah, girl, <laughs> yeah, work on another, yourself. Another you need to, yeah, the only friend exactly. you should have is your therapist at that point. <laughs> so back into our dad saga again. We're going in order. So she has these couple of memories with her dad, like. Um, he spells her name wrong on oh the only God. birthday card he ever gave her. <laughs> and again, like, we, you guys, we're going to drop the bomb. That's going to make it all make sense. But, like, spells her fucking name wrong. And as a kid, she's just like— But, I, you know, I got to say, though, I don't even think the bomb makes it make sense. I think it just makes it more sad. You know what? 
I think maybe we do do the bomb now because I did do Karen. <laughs> um, but but we kind of but it'll be good because now we get to talk it through because later in the book, after you have made it through. Uh, an amount no one should ever have to live through. No child should be put through any of this. None of it. She, her dad is then like, hey, um, mom mom has passed away. Mom has passed away. And at the mom's funeral, this is why I call her the unsung hero of the book. At the the horrible monster mom's funeral, the dad spends his whole time getting Karen's number. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but the mom did a lot of bad things. Like, I think it's, I don't know. I'm sort of like, I don't like what it does to Jeanette, but like the fact that, he and Karen start dating and Karen steals dad, like a little, I mean, a little bit of sweet justice. So just like she said, Karen was stealing things. So Karen and the dad start dating. He's like, come meet me at this diner. She's like, are you fucking serious? Like my dad is about to tell me that he's marrying Karen, <laughs> the woman my mom hated. And now my dad's moving on and mom's that, been that dead she like, has, only a few she months. She now, Jeanette also carries that hate because she believes yes. the mother no matter what, because yes. she hasn't processed anything. No. And also, I, I, and also, like, I'm calling her an unsung hero comedically, but, like, you know, everything is fucked up. So she sits down. She's like, oh, my God, my dad's about to say he's getting married. This is going to be horrible. And he says, hey, um, I am not you and your, your brother's biological dad. And I mean, I, 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 my pen mark in the book, like, flies off the page as I'm writing, like, ah! I, like, screamed. I mean, it was... You just never see it coming because there's so much else happening. It's and so then, weird. But okay, so here's what I want to talk through. Here's why it makes sense to me. So her dad is like pretty silent through all her abuse. He's getting abused by the mom. He spells her name wrong on a birthday card. He takes her bike riding like once. Like she just cannot connect with this dad. And she'll constantly tell you these horrible things her mom's doing and then reveals that like her dad's been sitting in the room the whole time. The reason why it made sense to me is like, one, I am someone who found out my dad was not my real dad when I was sure. like 14 or 15. And my dad was so fucked up and abusive. And then you realize, like, this is a man who knows you're not his. And there's, like, a detachment there where, like, you can step in and, like, kind of try and be dad. But, like, in his dad heart, he was like, this isn't my kid. And, like, in Jeanette's case, the mom was like, call him dad. Call him dad. And then when the mom gets mad at him, she makes her call him Mark for the rest of her life. Because the mom is wielding him as a dad figure and he's never actually her dad and he knows it. I just, when I I read that and and when I hear stories like like yours, it's like, why the fuck did this dude stick around? How good was that pussy? Because (laughs) I just don't understand the situation. Like, is she taking care of it? Because he had a job. It's not like he wasn't, he wasn't capable of taking care of himself, you know? Because I, I kept kind of being like, is he a deadbeat? Is he on drugs? Like, I could not figure it out. So when we- You can't pin him down. You can't yeah. pin him down. So when you get that information, it I, honestly, it only raises more questions, in my in my opinion. Because I was like, why the fuck did you stick around? Yeah, that's a, and that's definitely like, it, that wasn't the case with me. Like, my story, like, kind of similarity stopped because her dad sticks around until the mom's dead. Yeah. And he never leaves from his own abuse. He, and it's- I think he was playing the long game to get Karen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, seriously, like, you're just like waiting like, around. The first time she got cancer, he was like, the bitch is gonna die and then I'm gonna fuck Karen. But then the bitch lived yes. and lived and lived. And lived. And he still gets Karen. I mean, here's the other thing too. Karen pushed her dad to tell them. And here's yeah. the thing. You always, you always deserve your identity. Jeanette always deserves to know. I do think Karen had bad intentions. I think Karen was like, I think this will distance you from your children even more. I don't know if that, I don't actually agree with that at all. I think her intentions were 
I know your mother. She's a fucking crazy bitch. And I know you've had a bad relationship with her. And you deserve to know the truth of what's been going on. Like, you yeah, listen. Yeah. Because who knows what her story is? I want to hear her. I honestly was like, the more I heard about Karen, I was like, I want to hear more about this woman's perspective. I, I, I want to know what Karen is up to. I want to meet her. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want Jeanette to have to endure any Karen. But like, I personally just want to like go to a Karen seminar. And I just do like, too. Hear her talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Anyways, she pushes him to tell her. And at least for me, I think a lot of, uh, it just, it, for me, it made all the dad stuff make sense. But I think, I guess, I guess I go back to it. It just bums me out that he stuck around. Like, was he? Yeah. Because he also never protected them. Like, is that, is that being Mormon? Because that's what I think um, they were, he was Mormon. And I think um, leaving a marriage is, is, is just a lot different when you're Mormon. And I can see him waiting for her point. death because he can't divorce. That's a great point. I get sad when adults have something else guiding the, their decisions. It always bums me out when, it, and yeah. when it's religion. It really makes me sad because I'm like, you chose to be a bad person due to religion. Yeah, because that's yeah, like, have a different cause. Do it for money. <laughs> I mean, do it for the love of these children. These children deserve. I was, I was kidding. I know, I was I know kidding. you were kidding. I know you were kidding. I don't, I'm not a big laugher. Sorry. Uh, uh, no, I love that from a comedian. Um, do you? <laughs> because, no, of course not. <laughs> but speaking of religion, Jeanette gets religious OCD. Oh Where she's gosh. been told when the time is right, God will speak to you. So she wants God to speak to her so much. And then finally this little voice comes alive inside her. She's like, oh my God, they said God would talk to me. This must be God. And God is like, touch the doorknob five times and you will get the role. Walk in a circle, go pee twice and your mother will be nice to you tonight. And she has religious OCD for years and years and years. So then um, at this point in her life, she is starting to develop breasts and she's a child actor. She's supposed to remain very small. And her mom is like four feet, nine inch. Like her mom is so, her mom is below five feet and her mom wants her to remain small. And so this is again in her child brain. She truly believes it's her idea. She goes to her mom. She's like, I think I'm getting breasts. I don't want them because she's been taught to be afraid of them. And her mom says, I have a simple fix for you getting breasts. It's called calorie restriction. And you just really restrict your calories and you stay small forever and I will help you. And she was like, oh my gosh, thank you, mom. Thank you. And together, her mom trains her to put off puberty entirely and become anorexic. (laughs) I mean, it's terrible. It's so, and there's a lot of ways parents can influence an eating disorder, eating habits, or body image. And her mom's doing it through charts and through leaning over her shoulder, being like, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that. I mean, again, your body's not yours, it's mine. I want to say, I think the thing that made me so sad is that one of my favorite things about being a kid is all the junk food. All the shit that (laughs) is like made for and and advertised to children. Like children's food is so fun. It's so colorful. It's so tasty. Right. There's so much like variety. Yeah. It's, I mean, the candy, the snacks, the cookies, like yeah. chips. There's so much variety. And it made me so sad to be like, she didn't get to experience that fun of like having fucking Kool-Aid stains on your mouth and Cheeto stains on your fingers and like those simple yeah. joys that are such a big part of being a child. Like eating such ridiculous foods with your friends and sharing. We do a slumber party and you like have all the different, and then you go to someone's house and their parents have a whole different set of snacks than your family does. I mean, not only did she never get the joy of snacks as a kid, but robbed them for the rest of her life. I mean, I I hope she gets to a place where 
where where she could enjoy that again. But I think growing up with such an intense eating disorder from so young, I I cannot imagine what it would be like to try and make your way back to normal eating or if it would be possible. That was that's yeah. That's what yeah. really gets under my skin about her fucking piece of shit mom taking ta- giving giving her taking snacks away. Yeah, giving yeah. her an eating disorder, yeah. but taking away the joy of like the that childhood eating. There's, yeah. it does, it's yeah, unmatched. That's a really good point. I, I didn't even think of that. But yeah, because I was only processing the eating disorder. But you're right. It, she just took, she just took everything. Everything. She didn't leave her anything. I mean, she's calorie restricting. I think, I was trying to track it, but I think it's around 12, 13. Uh, like it's from a very young <sighs> very age. Very young. And, and. I think it's um, before 12. I mean, she, she really ruined Jeanette's body from the inside mm-hmm. out. Uh in every way she could. And that's, again, how she ends up being 14 years old and riding in a booster car seat Mm because her mom has starved her to remain physically um, booster-sized. Yeah. Which is horrifying. And it it all gets worse because all of this shit she made her do pays off when she books iCarly Mm -hmm. and she becomes a series regular. And now they're in, like, Disney money, you know? And I will say that my favorite part of the iCarly chapters— was learning what a friend Miranda was. Oh, my God. And how Miranda, um, the lead in that show, like, they remain close friends forever. And, like, I just— Usually there's, like, one female friendship, like, in a, in a memoir. And, like, this one, just, like— I was just so happy she had somebody. I was so happy it was, like, her co-star who, like, wasn't a piece of shit to her and that they're still close, you know? I was just happy that um, it happened— at the time when the internet was popping, because if the internet didn't exist, this relationship wouldn't have flourished. Because she said, I would yeah. go and go and log on AIM and me and her would go back and forth. Because she didn't even know what any of that shit was. She learned through Miranda. Yeah. And and they were a little too shy to like talk in person because they were both child actors who had learned to compete. And so they would connect like via AIM and then could be in person more together. And I'm, and I'm really, and that goes back to like those those little silly joys that you have as a kid. This is that perfect like, God bless Miranda for like being able to provide that for her because her mom wasn't going to let her have an AOL account. But, you know, no. the, but think about it. For, but if it was for the star of the show, exactly, then, then that's she, how the mm-hmm. mom was able to justify. Because in my head, I was like, oh, I don't know even know if Jeanette knows that that was also going on, that the only because re- she didn't even question that she was allowed to be on AIM. And it's like, girl, if, if, it was, if this wasn't a Disney show and that girl wasn't the star, that bitch would not have let you have no fucking AIM no contact like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. There's no and way. And no personal time. None. Absolutely. You're you're so right. You're so right. And um, well, I mean, so let's get into the Dan Schneider stuff. So Dan Schneider was the showrunner of a million uh, Disney kid shows. He has, uh, there's a lot of alleged allegations against him for all the shows, everything from um, abusive manipulation to really sexual stuff with the kids. And he has allegedly been let go as we are talking about this. And so, in the book, and he shout is out to Jeanette because I mean she really got that shit moving. That's right, she really did. And and by being someone who who said no and and pushed back and which she wasn't allowed to do when her mom was alive, but when her mom dies, she does the spinoff yeah. and, she, and and things start to move a little more. Well, he's called the creator in the book, but here is what I love: she says Dan once mm-hmm. in the book, so it's the creator, the creator, and then one time she goes. It's Dan, just in case right, right, you right. wanted to guess. It's Dan. <laughs> um, and I mean, I will say this is not in the book, but like people have gone through all the shows that he made and have screenshotted all the close-ups of children's feet. Oh, really? I didn't are, know that. He was constantly writing storylines 
where they would have to have their feet out and the camera would be positioned to look at their feet. He once tweeted, hey, tonight's episode, um, write, you know, uh, write your Twitter handle on your foot and tweet me a picture of it and all oh, RT no, and didn't. had children send him feet. No, after he feet. did not. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking so, disgusting. And that's not even in the book. What is in the book? Oh, this is the other thing too. So, uh, wait, wait, Spears wait, 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 book. wait. I also I just want to say this is why yeah. I post my feet freely online because <laughs> I wear size 13 in women. And I think if you're going to have a foot fetish, these feet need to be feet. They need to be big ass, like grown that. ass feet. Okay. I don't, if you have a foot fetish, and if you're a grown man and you're like, oh, I love when women send me their feet and their woman's foot is size five, motherfucker, that's some pedophile shit. A grown ass yeah. woman has oh. a big foot, okay? A big, thick ass, wide <laughs> set, weird ass toes. You know what I mean? Like if you got a foot I fetish, I want this. you to have a grown woman's foot in your that's mouth. That's right. This is <laughs> this is the justice I didn't know I needed uh, for women's feet. You're, do, you, do you have a wiki feet? I, of course I have a wiki feet. I post my feet freely yeah. all the fucking time. We need to reward the men who love women, adult women. You know, like I want you to fucking love a bitch who maybe got a little hair on her feet. Maybe got some hairy this, knuckles. Maybe they're a little sweaty. Maybe yeah, they're fucking yeah. chipped. Because she's busy <laughs> and she can't go get that fucking pedicure. She has a life. She has a job. She's walking around. Exactly. She's not just sitting on the couch. Otherwise, um, I otherwise, love this movement. You're Dan Schneider and you want to see child's foot. That's yeah. it. I didn't know I needed this, but I did. See the kind of pep um, talks I'd be giving, bitches? Okay. Okay, yes. This is why I got to tune into the meditation app. <laughs> Shit. Let your feet fly free. Mm. Um. So perhaps you can tell from this podcast, but I'm a very... uh anxious person. I, I operate on a high frequency and going to sleep is hard for me. It's hard to fall asleep. It's hard to stay asleep. And so the other night I got Next Evo in the mail, at, which is a CBD company. And I ate one of their strawberry flavored CBD gummies that was for sleep. And in the middle of the night, I had one of my normal wake-ups, and I thought to myself, ooh, I'm like, I feel so nice. I'm just going to go right back to bed. And as I was falling asleep, I had the thought of like, wow, I'm, I'm going back to sleep. And in the morning, I had forgotten I ate the gummy, and I was like, How do, why did I sleep so well? And then I remembered it. So the next night, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this again. Let's see if magic sleep happens. And lo and behold, I slept wonderfully. So I am so excited to talk about Next Evo Naturals because they have developed a clinically tested water-soluble form of CBD. And their gummies and capsules are proven to work faster and absorb four times better than oil-based products. I am assuming this is the fancy schmancy science that made this work because I have totally taken oil <laughs> droplets of CBD before, like during quarantine. Yes, or my husband, he was just, we were just dropping CBD into each other's mouths and you know, it didn't do much. So this is thrilling that I felt this way. I hope you could feel this way too. They also have their strongest gummy ever, the new extra strength daily wellness CBD gummies. They also have CBD lotion and you know, you know, I mean, instantly on my skin. Just anything that can help me relax, I'm so into it. Next Evo is the only brand that has conducted human clinical studies to test the value of their products, and their label contents are 100% guaranteed, so what you see is what you get. Leave oil behind and start the year with more effective and fast-acting CBD from Next Evo Naturals. Get 25% off using code GLAMOROUS at nextevo.com. That's 25% off at nextevo.com, N-E-X-T, 
T-E-V-O.com with promo code Glamorous. When you think of the messiest celebrity feuds of all time, who comes to mind? Is it Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun? Maybe it's Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, or just about anyone from any reality TV franchise. Dis and Tell is a podcast from Wondery, hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each hilarious episode will take you through one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds and serve you a little dose of chaos every week. They recently covered the story of one of the greatest feuds you've probably never heard about, Prince and Michael Jackson. Even though this feud never really played out in the press, there's still plenty of drama and a lot to unpack. And the explosive and dramatic fallout between Candy Burris and Phaedra Parks of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. They went from TV besties to sworn mortal enemies and their relationship ended with a criminal allegation that rocked Bravo and its fandom for years to come. So if you're ready to gossip and add some more chaos to your life, follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Dis and Tell early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Okay, so uh, one thing to note is that Jamie Lynn Spears, she also did a memoir. She was also on um, the Zoe 101, which was a Dan Schneider show. In her book, he's a hero. He's just a great guy. He's just a great guy who made a show for her, which is just uh, just speaks so much yeah. about her and her mom, whereas in Jeanette's book, well, and her and her like, dad. Yes. Oh, and her dad. And so some of the examples in the book is that uh, he specifically requests Jeanette and the other women pose in bikinis, many of them, so he can get multiple options for what swimsuit she should wear. Meanwhile, her character literally is a tomboy who is known for being like in board. Like it just would never make sense yeah, for this even, one ever even when, for a child. Even when but, a, a child, uh, specifically a girl, is not a tomboy, you're still in the baggy shirt. You're still in the like, you know. Also, like you're on TV. Don't put a, don't put a preteen girl in a bikini on TV. Like, what are you doing? Ugh. Like, and he did, and I mean, he put the, he put. I remember, I've I've seen shots of Miranda like in the bathtub, just covered by bubbles. Like, what are we doing? Disgusting. So, um, he has he's just so manipulative. He does so many crazy things to her, and meanwhile, her mom is like. Let's go to dinner with him. I'll bring up the cancer, okay? And she's like, okay. And her mom's like, so Dan, I had cancer. And Dan dangles in front of Jeanette, you'll get your own show one day. And that's kind of the thing she's always working for. And her mom's always like, do whatever Dan says. And it gets worse and worse and worse. It's also funny that he takes them out to eat, which is like both of their worst nightmares. <laughs> and then they, they, have yeah. to like, they have to like fake eat real meals. Yes, because it'll offend him yeah. if they don't eat. But they, she is calorie restricting, and she knows her mom will be mad if she does eat. But if doesn't, if she, her mom will be mad if she does eat, and Dan will be mad if she doesn't. Yes. eat. she doesn't know what to do. I found that and, very, uh, and he makes her drink alcohol. I found that very not that part, but I found that very. Uh, I don't want to say humorous. It's not the word I want to use, but it was just that thing where it's like, man, damned if you do, damned if you don't, type situation. Even even yeah. in the world of an eating disorder. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I. Uh, this quote went around a lot before the book came out, but she was she'll be offered three hundred thousand dollars later to never say what happened on this show. That's why I love her. She I goes, love no. her too. Immediately no. I love her. Immediately no. So, I mean, when she's a child on the show, she's she has to have her first kiss on screen. Oh. She has to experience everything, and she's so messed up romantically. So, when she's eighteen, and this guy named Joe is twenty-seven, are you fucking kidding me? They start dating. I'm so mad at this guy. 
because of how her mom treated her growing up, she becomes someone who has learned that like you have to negotiate for love and you don't deserve love. It's something you have to like manipulate and earn your way into. So she's dating this older guy who has a girlfriend. Then he tells her one night, like, I'm going to break up with my girlfriend and be with you. He comes over to her. He's like, I didn't do it. I don't know. I don't know if I can. So she gives him a blowjob. She's still so inexperienced sexually that, like, when he starts giving her direction on how to do it, she's like, thank you, God, some direction. I love that she could, like, find these, like, humorous— dark. I love dark humor, obviously, and I love how she got into it. And then she ends up— getting in this relationship with him. And she'd tell her mom, like, oh, I'm staying the night with Miranda. Because again, like, this is for the show. But her mom would never let her have a boyfriend, have anyone who would take her from her mom. And she sneaks away to Hawaii with, uh, she says, her friend who is gay. And the friend who is gay. Shout out to Colton. Yeah, shout out to Colton. He had her back. He did. And he gets on these three-way calls. So Jeanette would call him and patch her mom in. And they would pretend that they had just spent the day in Hawaii together. And they would run down a list of things they had done. And then the fucking paparazzi takes pictures of Jeanette and Joe, outing her to her mom. But on top of that, with her freedom from her mom, she has started um, eating more. And by the way, this freedom is because her mom has gotten sick again. So her mom like can't go with her everywhere. So she's she's less and less away and Jeanette can't understand why she enjoys it. And she started eating real food. I just love that um, Jeanette was like, oh, my mom is dying again. I can't, I'm so, I'm liberated. Like that's stuff, that's so yeah. sick. Like how sick is that? Like that's so fucked up to like approach life in that way. Oh yeah. But I mean, but also like, you mean like she had no other choice. No, she had no she other just, choice. That's yeah. now how she was yeah. at this point wired. She was wired to like, yeah. Her, 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 like the her mother's cancer coming back is like a blessing for her lifestyle. Yeah, and also she's confused at the blessing. Like she doesn't, she she doesn't, she feels bad that yeah. she's enjoying her mom not being around. Like she doesn't know what to do, but she's also trying to experience love and and dick. She's so just trying the, to get some dick too. I know. I, and this is the worst part. What's the worst part? The email. I looked up these headlines from when she was caught in the paparazzi. And the Daily Mail ran things like a curvier Jeanette or like Jeanette packing on the pounds in Hawaii. So not only did they out her to her mom, they sent her back into her eating disorder. And, and it, I mean, she's 18 and she's still starring in a Disney show. I mean, and she's influencing like, you know, people who watching that too. Like yeah. it just, it's all such a cycle. And so one of the, I can't even believe I'm saying wildest parts of the book, but one of the wildest parts of the book is that her mom starts sending her um, 20 to 40 emails. And I want to read one of, uh, I'll read half There's of There's a great clip of her reading one of the emails on the Red Table Talk. I, oh, really? I recommend everyone to to check that out because, um, you know, and, and God knows the Pinkett Smiths have their own strange relationships within their own, you know, the women in their lives. But to watch their reactions to her reading the email, it's like, I think they were all like, I guess we are doing fine. Like, you could see that. Yeah, I guess we're okay. You know, when, like, you see it in someone's face, like, oh, sh- I thought we were fucked up. We're doing good. We're, we're fine. We're fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, All right. So I want to read part of it. Thinking of you with his ding-dong inside of you makes me sick. Sick. I raised you better than this. What happened to my good little girl? Where did she go? And who is this monster that has replaced her? You are an ugly monster now. I told your brothers about you and they all said they disown you just like I do. We want nothing to do with you. Love, mom. Parentheses. Or should I say Deb, since I am no longer your mother. P.S. Send money for a new fridge. Ours broke. I mean, again, kind of like you said, like, you know, you got to give it to her. That's pretty funny. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. You're disowned. Send money for a fridge. Sounds like you have to get your own fridge now, it's Deb. Like, which is it, bitch? 
Which is it? Oh, yeah. And she keeps asking for money for the fridge. And then the other most fucking incredible part of this book is, uh, I want to read it. She said, I read another email. This one's titled, Letter to Your Fans. I open it up and read a scathing note attached, a note that mom tells me she's posted to an online Jeanette McCurdy fan club in an attempt to get my fans to flee from me. She says that she's going to steal all my fans, that she deserves them more than I do, and that she swears to God she's going to sign up for Vine and they're all going to love her comedy videos. Again, Deb killing it. I mean, that's a level of dis- disillusion that creates a laugh that's just, you can't write it, you know? She was made to be a star. She gonna get on Vine? <laughs> Bitch, I wish you would. I wish you would become a Vine comedian so that Jeanette could stop working. Like, that was an option, Deb. Like, It's crazy reading these emails because I think the meanest thing my mom has ever said to me is that I look like my dad. <laughs> I was reading these emails. I was like, if my mother ever talked to me like this, I would be like, uh, who hacked your email? Oh. Like, yeah. it's so insane. It also goes to show, like, how how, um, how the mental illness, which we never learned, but clearly is so prevalent in her mother that she's sending 40 of them. I mean, this is just, this is not a mentally stable person, which is obviously clear. I mean, then her, so her mom's sick again. Jeanette's like, hey, mom, I'm sorry. Can we talk about it? And she's like, yeah, we'd love to, sweetie. Bring money for the goddamn fridge. So she just gets into this cycle. Her mom is getting sicker and sicker, and it's clear that she's going to die. And I mean, just there's so much we're even skipping, but it's just like yeah. Jeanette gets her own apartment. Her mom moves in. Like, it's just, it's all awful. Every time her mom wakes up, like, at the hospital, she's like, Jeanette, what did you eat today? I heard you went and got- So Jeanette, um, her eating disorder has flipped into bulimia. And bulimia and anorexia often go hand in hand as eating disorders, as do anxiety and depression. Like, they're not two separate things. They're kind of, of a similar ilk. And um, because she started eating again, she wanted to enjoy food, she, she, but can't. She has bulimia now, and the bulimia is giving her this emotional rush. So her mom would hear that, like, she had a burger. So she'd wake up from the hospital, and she'd be like, I heard you had a Whopper. And she'd be like, I didn't have the mayonnaise on it, mom. Don't worry. And her mom is like, hey, I'm going to die. I need you to sing When Beneath My Wings. Oh, my, my God. And Jeanette's like, mom, I can't sing in that key. Like, that's just, I can't hit those notes. And she's like, it's important to me. Practice. She makes Jeanette start rehearsing over and over and over again, Wind Beneath My Wings, that she's supposed to sing at her funeral, clearly calling her mom the Wind Beneath Her Fucking Wings. Um, And Jeanette can't hit the notes. And when, I want to read this page when her mom dies. Mom takes a sharp breath in and then out. The hospice nurse locks eyes with dad, gives a silent nod. Dad looks at us. Mom's gone. We're all numb. We don't cry. We just sit in silence. Finally, I pick up my phone. A hundred messages have poured in. Everyone's heard. E! News broke the story. How the fuck they already know, I have no idea. Now, a current guy has been texting her, and oh and he's, so and he's she wants to break up with him. And she had wrote to him, hey, I'm really sorry. I just can't do this right now. My mom's going to die, and I really need some time to just be alone. I hope you can understand. He writes back, don't say that. Your mom's not going to die. I go to my last text tab. Then click on the chain with the current guy. I stare at his last text. Don't say that, boo. Your mom's not going to die. I text him back. She just did. I mean, this woman is, she's just a master at dark comedy. And also, she really did that shit. Uh, Here's the other thing. There is a line when you, especially when you lose a parent, but when you lose 
uh, anyone that you love deeply to death. But there, it's like you either instantly have that humor or you don't. Um, mm. And it's also like it's and it's beyond even a humor. It's that's again, that's a fact. That is a fact. The mom just died. It's like beyond funny. It's just the truth. And uh, yeah, that's what I love about this because that's how that's so how it is when uh, you lose a parent. Because before you lose merit, you have no fucking idea what it's like to lose a parent. And you don't even know how to navigate these conversations with people. And you don't know how to approach it. And then the second you lose a parent or you have some somebody who's terminally ill. I mean, like you want to hear the shit that's going to get you through the day. And I love you so much. Prayers and thoughts like that's not what you want to hear. So I. what do you want to hear? Oh, my God. Like, oh, bitch. Now I got to take you to lunch. Ah, fuck. Now I owe you that dinner. Oh, I got to pay you back for that. Money. Like you got you. You want the truth. You want the truth mm. in the life. And not to say that thoughts, prayers, love and all that shit isn't the truth. The thing is, you already know that. You know, no, you don't. Mm. You, and you might even think about like, oh, your worst enemy is so happy. Like that's another perspective of like, oh, you know, to get some a, a reaction, a laugh or something out of someone because be going, oh, my God, I love you so much. They're just like, I know, bitch. Let's fucking talk about the other thing. Let's like what else? Yeah. What else for my brain? You know, yeah. because yeah. death happens like that's the other reality. Death happens. Yeah, that was really well said. I can't add anything to it. That was really well said. Um. Well, her mom dies, and thankfully, she does not sing that fucking song at the funeral. She's supposed to, but she's crying so hard. She can't. I also I also love that um, the mom gives her one final assignment. How fucking annoying is that? Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. Well, now we go into the after section. So her mom has died. And this is when she takes the spinoff um, iCarly show because— even though she doesn't want to, she's still sort of in the throes of what her mom has been making her do. And also she needs money because her mom took it all. So this is a chance for her to get some last money. And um, Sam and Kat stars her and Ariana Grande. Now, did you know a lot about Ariana Grande before what you read in this book? Because I, I, I'd even watched the documentary, but like I didn't know, I didn't know some stuff in here that like, really ruined Ariana. Not that Ariana was on a pedestal, but like really ruined her for me. I, I definitely knew uh, most of what um, uh, Jeanette was writing about, um, but it did crack me up because I don't think I, I, I had no idea that um, someone could hate Ariana that much. Um, and also like for no, not to say for no reason, like it's obviously coming from a place of, of jealousy in the sense that she had a healthy upbringing. I mean, that's really a secure and healthy upbringing in multiple ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> this goes into my psyche because basically Ariana gets to do whatever she wants while while um, while Jeanette has to really pick up the pieces. So one of the funniest parts is that like Ariana has a tour and so they write her into a box the whole episode and Jeanette has to act with a box for a week, but like Jeanette can't get anything she wants. And so a lot of resentment builds, but then she also writes this. This is what it is. Ariana misses work in pursuit of her music career while I act with a box. I'm pissed about it. And I'm pissed at her, jealous of her, for a few reasons. The first is that she had a much easier upbringing than I did. I grew up in Garbage Grove in a goddamn hoarder house with a cancerous mom who constantly wept about not being able to afford rent and utility bills. Ariana grew up in Boca Raton, Florida, an incredibly wealthy, idyllic town with a healthy mom who could buy her whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. Gucci bags, fancy vacations, Chanel outfits. I don't even want Chanel outfits. I don't like the way the fabric looks, and yet I'm jealous that she has them. This is this 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 is more about me because I read how she grew up and I went what a bitch. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I was like I'm with you. We both hate her. How dare she? Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it, and and it is really nice how she's so mad at her, but does know like it comes from jealousy. Yeah, I I, I was like, oh, I get. Th- I also, I 
just felt bad for her once again. I was like, this poor kid, she can't even, she she wasn't raised to like have healthy relationships with women. So she doesn't even know how to look for the good in Ariana Grande. Yeah, yeah. And I and I, I love that she was honest I about love it. it. So and like much. it would be hard to have that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And so she's also starting to date more. So older dude is gone. Her virginity story is um God, I love I love, love, loved the the dating stories in this book, mm-hmm. and maybe this is fucked up, but but you know, she she's just so fucked up, but also you want to be dating and liked, and but you're doing all these like you're going about it in such terrible ways because of how you grew up and like I, I just so much of it um you know spoke to me and she you know gets this guy Liam on the line and she's like this is gonna be great and like um kind of does all these things to get him into her and then she's so drunk um she wakes up with him having sex with her and she's like what are you doing and he's like I'm having sex with you and that's how she loses her virginity so, terrible. Which is rape. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. And I mean, and, and there's a lot also with the alcohol too of like, you know, she's a Mormon. She never drank. And then the one time she does, and then she sort of realizes, you know, she starts using it like she uses the eating disorder yeah. as like a way to escape herself. Um, And then so she's like, this is just a person like reeling from her mom's death, but also finding herself and, and the writing's so beautiful. I mean, there's this incident where her bulimia is getting worse and worse. And one time to stop herself from eating, she pours perfume all over some food in the trash and then goes and eats the perfume-covered food. I will say I could relate to this because I struggled with bulimia for some time and like really fucked up shit you do to get yourself to stop eating and then going back. And it's just it's just such a disease. And um, I just thought she just wrote about it so beautifully. During this time, all she wants to do is direct an episode mm-hmm. of Sam and Cat. She wants to become a director. She'll put up with this whole season. If she can just direct an episode, everyone's promised it to her. And at the last second, it gets taken away little by little. And she says there was one person who said they would quit the show if she directed a, a single episode. Now, who did you think that that person was? Honestly, I didn't know. I couldn't figure it out because I, at that point, I was like, it could have been anybody. I think it was Ariana. I, yeah, I don't. I don't I think, agree. I don't. I don't think that. I did not think that. Yeah, I think because she, no, she listed her name. She dropped so many details about her. She like fully went into all these things, and um, that's just who I. That's just who I thought it was, um, which I hope is not true. I really do not think that that's true. I think that mm. um, it could have been as simple as like the creator, fucking Dan Schneider, just was like. Trying to but trying would, to but, go around his promise. Yes, and also like that could have been a lie that he told her. Exactly, he could have said it was one person. It's, a, it's yes. that simple. But, I mean, we know how the industry is. There's, there's, yes, absolutely. There's so much bullshit. Absolutely, like either it's a lie Dan Schneider told her because he just doesn't want her to direct because he's a monster. I fully believe or it's a lie. A top level person threatened to walk. Yeah, I fully believe it's a lie because it makes no sense. That's why I think it was Ariana, and that, and it's why she's so mad at her. I'm just saying this is my theory. I hope it's not true. I, I did, no, I I fully do not agree with that because uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad I, you can push back because I don't want. I to be really true. have followed Ariana's career for a long time, and she. From what I have read from other people about her, she's like the sweetest angel. I got to tell you, here's the thing. I got a lot on the line with this. <laughs> I wear Ariana Grande Cloud perfume. And God, that's a good scent. And I know the celebrities have nothing to do with it. It's just perfume companies like, you know, uh, using their name. But 
it's a really good perfume, Marcella. And I just, I just don't want to be spraying it on me every day, you know, with, with any sort of ilk to it. <laughs> okay, I need the perfume. Okay, so here's the thing. So then she signs onto a Netflix show, thinking it's a Netflix show when really it's an independent show and it's just going to go up on Netflix. And she, really, she's just trying to find her way out of this business. She needs money. She, she's flailing. But I think it's, she I needs think this it's incredible also, guy, Steven. I think it's also beyond um, trying to get out of this business. I don't think she's fully at, I'm trying to get out of this business. I think she's trying to be like, I don't want to be a child actor. So what's next? And uh, I think she's searching so for what's next. Totally. And she sounds like she has just agents who could care less. At, like, they just do not protect her. And um, her mom was making all her decisions. And they certainly do not help her once her mom's gone. And she goes on to this show, but... This one at first great thing happens, which is she meets this guy named Steven and they have such a connection. And the first time he comes over, he notices that there's vomit on the toilet and he comes out and he says, if you have, I, it, you have an eating disorder and I need you to get help and you need to go to therapy so that like we can be a healthy couple. I loved it. And she it. does. I loved it. I was yeah, so, me too. I was so excited about this relationship when I read that. I was like, oh my yeah. God, boundaries that he's setting because- the only boundaries she had set in previous relationships were like, uh, this could only happen for three months because you can't get to know me more because you will find out about my dark life. And um, yeah. and I love that this dude saw her dark life and was like, there can be light. And I love yeah. that. Yeah. At first, yeah, we too. loved him. <sighs> so then, you know, he's this great guy at first. She, she does go see a therapist and starts getting help for the first time. And um, then one time he comes to visit and he's like, hey, I don't think we should have sex anymore. And she's like, I'm sorry, what? Previously, this is like half our relationship. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I don't think we should have sex anymore. I just like think it would be against God. And um, then a little bit later, he's like, and also like, I just have to confess to you because you're the person I can trust. Like, I am actually God. I'm Jesus Christ. And this leads to us finding out that Stephen is schizophrenic. And he goes through a schizophrenic episode with Jeanette and believes he's the true one God. And it also goes to show, like, again, like, what mental health diseases are. Like, this is this great person who, like, got her into therapy, who believes in all these things themselves. But, like, when you're dealing with a mental health issue, you know, what that does to you. And he goes on this journey, and they and they they do stay together for a lot of time after this, but then their relationship runs its course, and, like, both of them just need more help than they can give each other. Can I just say, I love, and I wrote it as a note, um, I called her the blowjob queen, because I yes. <laughs> love that we get the the glimpse with the first dude, Joe, and that, you know, she gives him a blowjob and she justifies that right now in her religious beliefs. And um, and with this dude, she fucking, when he's like, we're not having sex. And she's like, oh, she wants the dick, obviously. So she uh, negotiates a blowjob because um, she just wants the dick. And then she, she fucking blows the fuck out of that dick. And he feels now worse. And... Um, I just love how good she is at blowjobs and I love that she wrote it in. I do too. I, I get all of her dating stuff and sexuals, like just incredible. And like the idea that she's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn around with the blowjob of a lifetime and gives it and it, it doesn't work. It's just like, it's incredible. And she has all these callback lines to the previous blowjobs. Like it's really incredible. I love it. And um, she's seeing Laura, this therapist, because of Steven who starts to help her with her eating disorder. And you get a good, portrait into when a disorder is as severe as Jeanette's, what it takes. And she starts like attending events with her to be her kind of guide. How did you feel about that? I found it a little unusual. I guess I just don't know enough about eating disordered therapy, mm -hmm. but when, 
basically they had found that like, she's going to present this Nickelodeon award. And Jeanette knows like, I am destined to binge and purge at this event because these are every single one of my triggers stacked up. So when she goes with Laura and she does think Laura's like not looking and goes to the table and starts binging and Laura appears behind her. And I, I, at least in my non-therapist brain, she says like, I think it's really great that you're eating and I love to see it. And I just want you to take like a few quick breaths. And, you know, um, I, I can't remember what else she says, but she's basically like, this is really great. And like, let's just uh, be with our emotions for a moment because she's binging in the moment. Like she's trying to get out of this. And, um, and she talks her through this so that she doesn't um, get into a cycle. That being said, the next morning she does anyway. But I don't know. What did you, you didn't like it? I guess I was just confused, and I and I don't know if it's because of how Jeanette wrote it. And I I I was I guess what I was wondering, and if I could ask Jeanette anything, it would be, did she have, did she feel like the way that this therapist was behaving at these events, like with Angela Angelina Jolie? little quick interaction and then the interaction in the back with, I forget what other celebrity. I was like, like the rock or or someone. And um, Jeanette reacted in the way that made me wonder if it was uh, reminding her of her mom. Um, And that Mm -hmm. maybe that was harder for her to take in this eating disorder recovery from this therapist because it was a little like, it was almost like the therapist was enjoying being there a little too much and yeah. she wasn't yeah, 100% yeah, yeah. working, which I had a problem with. And I I couldn't get that answer out of what I was reading. That's that's a really great point. And I will say I had, an, I had a different moment with Laura, the therapist, where I was like, I don't know if this is a good therapist, which is she approaches the subject with Jeanette that her mom abused her, which is not in her logical worldview and will truly undo every moment in her lifetime. And the therapist clearly goes at it too fast. She brings it up too soon. She flees therapy and never goes back. And while I do get that, like, it is on the patient to be ready. Never, never goes back to that therapist. Yeah. But, yes. and, and it never doesn't go back for a while right, right, to right. therapy because she can't handle the notion that maybe her mom was abusive because sure. she's she was just so groomed that that's an impossible thought. And clearly Laura didn't handle that with care or time or patience. And that's when I was like, Maybe she's, yeah. But yeah, it was hard to get the answers of like, was she not ready for therapy or was Laura shitty? Exactly. Because I, I was like, is she, is she reacting like this? Because it reminds her of her mom because her mom was so, she had, she was so not careful in how she spoke. And it, it was like, is it just like triggering those feelings? Like this bitch reminds her of her mom. That's what I was getting, but I couldn't tell. Yeah. But that's, that's what I know. I, I think getting. that's a really fair read. I think it's a really fair read. And she is now, I mean, she, she's just going through so much. She has thrown up her own molar from her eating Dude, disorder. That she's losing story teeth. of that airplane flight to Australia yeah. was really hard to read. Yeah. She's like going to do an event and she's binging and purging the entire flight and she th- throws up a tooth. And um, it just gets so intense. And, and but, but she goes and gets a new therapist. And this one's a much better match. And so for the first shout time. shout out to finding the therapist that is the match for you. Yes. That is, it's so hard. Oh my God. So hard to oh do. Oh my God. And I am also someone who, I went through a lot of therapists, but I found the one, my whole life changed. And that's the key is like trying to find the match for you is actually a lot of work on your end. And that's, a that's lot what of work. sucks. And that's what no one tells you. And that's actually, to me, the worst part of therapy is like, it's like dating. 
It's like you, you really- It's like dating and worse. Because at least at a restaurant, you could be like, what movies do you like? And and in therapy, you're doing most of the talking. Well, also in dating, at least you get laid. Oh, um. Um, yeah, that's hilarious. So she, this, this therapist is how she finally starts examining that her mom abused her, which- is is just uh, the fact that she's so young and has such a handle on it and wrote this so beautifully. She's just so incredible, and, and it really kind of takes you through the end of the book. And you don't end it in a place where she's like fully healed, but like you can see that she's walking a new path. And um, I want to read uh, the end of it. So she goes to visit her mom's grave, and this is the last two paragraphs. Mom made it very clear she had no interest in changing. If she were still alive, she'd still be trying her best to manipulate me into being who she wants me to be. I'd still be purging or restricting or binging or some combination of all three. And she'd still be endorsing it. I'd still be forcing myself to act, miserably going through all the motions of performing on shiny sitcoms. How many times can you pratfall over a carpet or sell a line you don't believe in before your soul dies? There's a good chance I would have had a complete and public mental breakdown by this point. I'd still be deeply unhappy and severely mentally unhealthy. I look at the words again that are on her tombstone. Brave, kind, loyal, sweet, loving, graceful. I shake my head. I don't cry. The Doobie Brothers' What a Fool Believes starts playing from the sad man stereo. I stand up, wipe the dirt off my jeans, and walk away. I know I'm not coming back. A happy ending. If you can believe, it is a happy ending to like have that boundary mm-hmm. with someone who abused you. Absolutely. That last page got ooh, me ooh. good. Got me real I, good. I, I mean, what a fucking read. Yeah. I was in tears on the last page. I was not, and there was no other time I, I got upset like that. And I, that page was like, it was like, I felt, I felt so good for her. And uh, because it's also like the, the, the back and forth fight you have within yourself about uh, processing death um, from a parent that abused you. It's it's really hard yeah. and it's really fucked up. Yeah. And there is, even though, uh, even when you have any any level of closure, it you know, the, you will always carry that pain with you. It's, you know, it's it's in you. It's in your blood, literally in your blood. And um, this was, it was very, very relatable uh, to to read her process of, 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 the, of the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's so well said. And also just, I haven't experienced this, but I imagine like your relationship to your narrative of your parent and when that changes and they're not here and like how hard that has to be. You also like, it's so um, weird what like missing things you hated about a person. Huh. Like that is, it's yeah. so weird. And I do love that she said I miss her pep talks because it was like, yeah, I also miss like, you know, leaving the house and my dad being like, you know, be careful in Hollywood. They're all there to take advantage of you. He would say that to me every time I left for LA. <laughs> and I, well, he wasn't he wrong. He wasn't wrong. And, and that's why I, I do, that's like the, the one of the things I really miss. And sometimes I say it to myself, you know? Um, and I, it made me be like, I wonder what her mom's pep talks were. Cause like, even though, cause even though this mother was totally fucked up, I know that there's still things about her that were not, bad and there you know there was some sweet moments and it's so hard to like balance that in your memory you know yeah completely so well said okay so we end every podcast with something i call the book dull test get ready first question uh was the author vulnerable did they share their truth yes 
I mean, a thousand, yeah. a th- beyond a thousand yeah. and, and, a, and a lesson to all. Um, I wouldn't be here if she didn't. Oh, I love that. You just like, Marcella's like not coming to the podcast today. No. Um, okay, question two, was it entertaining to read? It was, and it, it was it was all the emotions, you know, and entertaining, definitely, it was, because she was so funny. Oh, my God, there was one line I really wanted to read, and this would answer that question of it was entertaining, because every now and again, she would, like, write something that you would just, you, you pause and you laugh to yourself in a way that mm-hmm. you don't always get in some of these books that take themselves a little too serious. She was like, I'm approached by a security guard who carries himself like a man who takes his wings extra spicy just to prove a point. We all know that man. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. all hate and him. it's like such good writing. It's such good writing. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, th- there's no reason to include it except just for the fact that like, she's bringing you there. It was very entertaining. Yes. You saw the characters yes. in her life. Yes, I, I completely agree. And also like, I particularly love dark memoirs. I mean, I just love, I loved, loved, loved this book. You know what's funny? I wouldn't call it a dark memoir. I would call it a truthful memoir. But that I think that says more about I know. Uh, yes, you, absolutely. like in a good way. No, I, way. I agree. But also like, I think that's why I I do think it fits into that genre dark memoir, but I think it's because it's truthful why I like it. Like I I, I like the ones that well, and also I think a lot of people you know live lives that that like that, that are aren't this hard, and I particularly like the hard ones because uh, life is hard and I can relate, and it's just so beautiful to watch someone like walk through it. You know. Um, okay, last question: Did reading this book elevate your life in some way? Oh, probably not. <laughs> really? I'm elevated enough. It sounded like it did. N- oh, I don't think so. I don't know if it elevated my life. I it was Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like this answer. I Good. like when again, I like when people are truthful. I love to read the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm a very truthful person myself. So I wouldn't say that it elevated my life, but it reminds me that people uh are people of all ages are capable of being their full selves, even in the entertainment industry, because we don't see that enough. And I, I mm-hmm. love it when women are capable and are allowed to be truthful and honest and dark. And I, it just made me happy. Yeah, I like that. I like that answer. Um, I'm going to say it did elevate my life. Um, I think... Well, you also had a lot of deeper connections with her and her experience. I did, which yeah. I had no idea where was coming. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I can see that. And I think particularly what felt elevating was how well she wrote through a child's mind and her perception of it. It's just such a clear portrait of how we take things in as a kid and how uh, how you process abuse and and then watching her f- flip it the other direction, mm-hmm. I think felt like it was like flipping my insides a little bit too. That's great. Well yeah. said. And I liked it and it made me very happy. Um, okay, Marcella, tell us all your things where do you want people to to go find you, support you the most? Um, you can follow me on socials at Marcella Comedy, 2Ls, Marseilla Comedy. And, um, you know, I you can follow me, but I just, I, I implore everyone to take care of the children in their lives. Um, I'm going to start crying. It just, it just, it makes me sad that people are so abusive to children like this. Yeah. And I, I implore everyone, yeah. I, I don't care where the fuck you're at. I don't care if you know these people, if you're related to them. We need to take care of the kids that are in, in the world. It's just, sorry, I'm, I'm crying, but I... Oh, it, no, no, it's beautiful. And it's it's true. It's like, like it's so sad. You know, it, it drives me crazy that this abortion shit is happening because so many kids are going to be in such terrible conditions because of it. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, please just take care of the children in, in your life, in the community, you know, in, in public. It's hard, you know, because once you become adult, it's so hard. It's so hard to change and to fix that abuse. And if we can do what we can when they're children, it's like, it just makes a world of a difference, truly. Yeah, uh, that was so well said. Nothing to follow it up with. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for doing this. That's all for this week's episode. I know it was an intense one. So if you feel like you need to start a discussion, you have more to say, we have a Facebook group, uh, Celebrity Book Club Podcast on Facebook. We also do, um, for high-level patrons, the highest level, if you sign up on Patreon, we do a live private book club where we actually discuss one of these books in person every month. And this month is Jeanette's. So if you want to be a part of that, um, go to the Patreon, sign up. Also, if you become a member of the Patreon, you get one extra bonus episode every single month. And that is to thank you for your support because we are independently supported. So for just $5 a month, you get all the bonus episodes. I also have a pay what you can option because I'm shady like that. And I won't, you know, I need you to, you got to get it in however you can. So we have a pay what you can option. And the, the, the hardest part of becoming a patron is you got to go to the website and sign up. It takes like two minutes. It is linked in the show notes. It is also patreon.com slash Chelsea Devantes. That's how you become a member. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. I did a lot of I did a lot of book clubbing on Jeanette's book before we recorded this episode. So I always do stuff like that. I'm always posting stuff. And thank you so much to our producer, Kate Downey, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. And we will see you soon for another juicy ass book. <laughs>